When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gun and Blog. James, goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. I mean, I'm fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's good. I mean, sometimes, sometimes that's just the answer. Yeah, and there's n- nothing to be ashamed of in that. Absolutely, there's no need to expand on anything. I'm, I'm just grand, I guess. And yourself? Yeah, I mean, awkwardly, very similar. Right. Um, I, I think it's just you know, I suppose it's it's that thing when when the football kind of goes fine, your mood is kind of fine. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's not much to say sometimes. What, about the whole match? I mean, is that the end of the podcast? About life, really. Just life in general. No, I think we've got plenty to say about this match because it was, A, good to win, good to get another win on the road, um, and B, did I say A? Did I? Did I say, hey, mm-hmm. this is an inauspicious start to this particular podcast. Anyway, following A, there comes B. And B, there were some team selection issues. There were some performance issues. Maybe performance issues could be C. And we can work our way through the alphabet of this game uh, from the first whistle to the last, which saw Arsenal extend their unbeaten run and James go through November in Premier League terms without losing a game, which is interesting. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't actually noticed that myself. I mean, look, we did. There were a few draws in there, weren't there? Mm-hmm. Some of which were more welcome than others. But uh, yeah, the unbeaten run goes on. I mean, uh, it, it's not like this was a performance that was so convincing that suddenly it's like, oh, what a fantastic run we're on. You know, mm. it does feel a little bit like we're kind of trundling through this unbeaten run as opposed to kind of galloping through it at this point. Yeah. But, I mean, three we, points. It, mm. it is it is a great result, definitely, against the team sure. who've been playing pretty well this season. Yeah, excellent. I mean, it is an excellent result, but results and performances are two different things. Um, we mm. can be happy with the result. We can also analyse and talk about the performance. I think this season, uh, under Unai Emery, we, we've got a great big horse called Luck, and we are really riding it to within an inch of its life at times. We'll talk, we'll talk about that a bit later on because, you know, in the last 10 minutes, the three points we took could easily have been one point. Um, but th- that's to come. But let's start with what Unai Emery did with his team selection. Um, yes, how surprised were you? I mean, at this point, I am close to kind of giving up on predicting what Unai Emery is mm. going to do with his team week to week. It is very, very difficult for us to get a real handle on it because he, he does seem to just adapt game by game yeah he does I mean I wasn't expecting a back three 
uh, to be honest, uh, particularly because we've only got three centre-halves available and using them all in one game is maybe just a little bit risky when you're using all of your resources. Even someone like Nacho Monreal, who could fill in there, isn't available. Um, let me ask yeah, you guess- this. Go on. I was just going to say, I mean, it was, it was, uh, apparently he's been injured, which I didn't even know, but Mohamed El Nenny being back on the bench, maybe he was kind of the emergency cover. He would have had to have been, yeah, there was nobody else. But let me ask you, do you think that the back three or the formation, you know, playing with three centre halves and two wing backs, was Emery's way of negating the threats he perceived Bournemouth to have or the weakness? In his defence at left back, in say Kalasinac, who uh, who yeah. looks far more comfortable as a wing back, can give you plenty going forward. We know, and that formation at least allows you to offset some of the some of the the weaknesses, I guess, or just the lack of effort that comes from Kalasinac when it comes to his defensive duties a lot of the time, which I have to say frustrate the shit out of me. Because I'm, it's you know, it's one thing if a guy can't defend, but when somebody won't defend, I find that really annoying. Yeah, I, I, I don't think Kalasinac is the only person who feels more comfortable when he's further away from our own goal. I think we probably all feel a bit more comfortable in that respect. I, he is a really weird player, and I'm sure we'll talk about him in more depth. Well, let's talk podcast. about him now. Let's go on and talk about him now. He's a really strange footballer, isn't he? I mean, mm. I really would find it difficult to pin down exactly what it is he offers. Well, I mean, we saw it yesterday, no? In the in the attacking third, he gets forward, he's got good control, he does like to drive into the box, he can produce uh, a good final ball, we've seen him score goals, so in the final third, I think he's a player who offers you something. That's what, well, that's yeah. what he's good at, anyway, that, for, as far as true. we know. But he doesn't... Um, it's not like he brings a great deal of continuity going forward. I mean, if you look at his passing numbers from yesterday, they're ter- right terrible. down there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's something like... 63% uh, pass completion. Yeah, and just for, for sort of contrast, of a comparison, Hector Bellerin on the other side had 94% pass mm. completion. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, it's just the vagaries of the wing-back position. It's impossible to have a decent pass completion in that area. Um, you know, Bellerin shows that that is entirely possible. So he's sort of like a battering ram, isn't he? Like an attacking battering ram that you Mm. can kind of play in on the overlap. And both our goals yesterday came from the same combination of Iwobi playing in Kalasinac to cross. Mm. So you don't wish to discount that entirely, but I've never seen a footballer who can look so fast going forward and so slow going back. Yeah, but there's one reason why that happens, and it's because you don't care. You don't care enough to get back. You know, that can be the only reason. Because if you can bust your hole and sprint to get forward, either you're not fit enough to get back or you don't care enough to get back. And I can't believe that he's so unfit that he couldn't at least try at times. You know, he... he, he, Go on. No, I was just going to say, there was an instance yesterday I thought that summed it up perfectly. I mean, if you look at, for example, Bournemouth's equaliser or any number of times they went forward, he's sort of not in the picture, you know. Uh, not even really seemingly attempting to to get back into position. But then there was an occasion in the second half where we were on an attacking break. And I think it was a two-man break forward with Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang. 
And suddenly this figure appeared from nowhere and he sort of sprinted all the way into the opposition six-yard box. And I was like, who's making this incredible run the length of the pitch? And it was Kolasinac. Mm. And, it, and it just summed up how, how much more energy he seems to have going on the front foot than going backwards. Yeah. And it, it is this curious thing of having a defender who just doesn't seem to want to defend. Yeah, it's, it's maddening, to be honest. If you look at the replay of their goal... When it cuts to a shot from behind the goal, as the ball is being played to Josh King, Bellerin is trying his best to get back. Rob Holding has got two men to contend with. He's got the guy on the ball and, and then Josh King outside him. So he's trying to make up his mind how to how to deal with mm. that. Um, there's three players coming back. Torreira is on the halfway line. Aubameyang is in the just on the edge of the center circle in their half, and uh, bringing up the rear is Kalasinac, who basically stood there and walked out of their half. Maybe he wouldn't have got back. You know, it's a lot to say that he would have got back and into his left back position because, uh, or his left wing back position to provide some defensive cover. But you know, I, I just find the lack of effort difficult to contend with at times. You know, there were moments in the second half as well. Remember when they hit the post? In the build-up to that, there's a Bournemouth player has the ball out on the right-hand side, their right-hand side, and Kolasinac just doesn't close him down, makes a, a vague effort. You know the way when a player just kind of sticks a leg out, you know, vaguely to try and block a cross? doesn't make any real effort to close him down or to close down the space. Eventually, uh, the ball comes back to Bournemouth and they, they hit the post, you know? It's simple things like, like that, which I think are, are bread and butter stuff for any defender worth their salt. And, you know, we can't ignore the contribution he made going forward but I look at what he, he did defensively yesterday and I look at the fact that Nacho Monreal is injured and I look at the fact that we've got a North London derby on Sunday and I worry that they're going to run him absolutely ragged because if they're watching Kolasinac, which I'm sure they are, then they're definitely going to target him. And I think the formation yeah. was used to try and at least offset some of that because there were moments when holding... Uh, covered for him. Xhaka was uh, the last man back in the left-back position at times yesterday as well. So they're they're clearly aware there are issues there, but we just don't have any other choice other than maybe play Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Yeah, I, I think that the formation, to go back to your original question, was uh, largely designed to make up for mm. the fact that we don't have Monreal at the moment. I think probably there are a couple of other factors. You know, the fact that Bournemouth have been playing with, with two strikers, which you don't get too often in the Premier League, maybe that you know, Emery chose to sort of outnumber them with the centre halves, but I think Kalasnach or Monreal's absence rather was the biggest factor there. Yeah, um, I felt for Rob Holding at times because he had a hell of a job. You know, he was covering much of the left hand side of the pitch, and you know, at times it almost looked like he was playing as a, a left back in a sort of back four because he was filling in behind Kalasnach so frequently. And I thought he actually had quite a, a difficult afternoon, but I thought that was understandable given the pressure he found himself under. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, there's uh, an example of that as well in terms of the, if you look at the past completion statistics, uh, mm-hmm. and normally holding is is very good. Um, I think yesterday uh, his pass completion was down at 74%, whereas the two other centre-halves, 87% and 94% uh, for Mustafi and Socrates respectively. I think the fact that Kolasinac was nowhere to be seen a lot of the time meant that uh, holding didn't have a didn't have an option you know, um, yeah, 
I also think that as the kind of left-sided centre-back in that role, he probably has to come up the field more than he'd be- usually be accustomed to. He found himself mm. in sort of unfamiliar territory once or twice, sort of down the left wing. I mean, Monreal... <laughs> The problem is that we don't have Monreal and in some ways he would be, in this system, both our best left wing-back and our best left-sided centre-back. Uh, and that's never going to be possible for him to play both those roles. So, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I think sort of if we stick with this system, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how we make that work. Yeah. I personally don't necessarily see us sticking with it. I, I kind of feel like it was for this occasion because of the absentees, because of Emery's concerns about this this one game and I, I didn't find it massively convincing I wasn't like oh we're, no. we're so much more secure like this no I don't think so but if he has those concerns going to Bournemouth would he not share similar concerns um, for it's the Spurs hot. game I mean it's weird isn't it if it is a case that he's playing a back three solely because he can't trust Kalasinac as a left back it says a lot about our personnel and the way he's having to shift his team to to try and cope with um, some flaws within it. But um, we had a slow start again, James. We don't Mm. tend to come out of the blocks very quickly. As we know, we're not really a first-half team. But Bournemouth maybe can feel a little bit aggrieved that they didn't take the lead. I thought it was offside at first, but then all the replays and the analysis afterwards shows that he was just onside. Well, because Mustafi went to ground, right? I mean, ultimately, uh, his... I know, I know, I know. He got quite far into it without without bringing him up. But he, the fact that he is on the floor, it's his head and shoulders, isn't it, essentially, yeah. to pay Brooks on side. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I think they have every right to feel aggrieved because, um, you know, he the goal should have stood. It's one of those where you can understand there's a bit of a melee in there, so you can kind of understand the linesman may be making a mistake, but we definitely... That that horse called Luck came to the rescue, as it has many times. Yes, season. it has. Uh, look, and then we... I think we did okay-ish in the first half. It wasn't particularly convincing. Torreira hit the post uh, with a good shot, didn't he? Um, not long after that. But, you know, we were huffing and puffing and, uh, you know, Iwobi was trying to make things happen. They didn't really happen. Um, we did have a really good chance about 22, 23 minutes in with Aubameyang. After a corner, the ball came. He took a lovely touch on his chest and smashed it over the bar. I mean, I think he's, I think he should score there. Yeah, it's one of those where you sort of feel slightly churlish criticising because the the touch to bring it under control was so good. Mm. But having done that, I also expected him to score. It was one of those where it's sort of you don't, you're not necessarily anticipating a chance, and then when it's gone by, you think, oh, actually, that was a very very presentable opportunity. Mm. It, I mean, he doesn't miss. It's not like a a terrible miss because I can see what he's going for. He's going to just sort of lash it into that near top corner, and it's. Yeah. You know, half a yard over the bar but yeah that was a, a decent opportunity but fortunately we got a a lesson in finishing really from from Jefferson Lerma holy cow what a finish I, that was I know a dream of an own goal oh my goodness it was um one of the best own goal finishes I think I've ever seen ever mm. it was um it, yeah I don't quite know what exactly he was doing I guess he was trying to just lash it over the bar or just get something on the ball but the connection was was incredible. You know, you you made the point. It was Iwobi playing Kalasinac down the left. He cut it back. Uh, you know, a, a dangerous ball in. But I'm not sure. Um, really, we can give a huge amount of. I don't. I don't want to say credit to Kalasinac or to our attacking play there. It was kind of a freak 
goal, wasn't it? Rather than, I mean, look, you get the ball in a, in a dangerous area, something might happen, but it was more to do with the quality of the finish from Jefferson Lerma than, than anything else. Yeah, and also I'm not sure the cross was particularly headed towards anyone in an Arsenal shirt. Um, it was, uh, granted, played into a dangerous area. Lerma must be just trying to cut it out, put the ball behind. I, I've got, I, I don't know, but the contact he gets is sensational, really. And uh, I, I sort of had the perfect reaction to that of kind of cheering and laughing simultaneously, yeah. which is what you want from an own goal. Yeah, I'm just going to watch it again here. Here's Kolasinac. No, it's a bad ball back. I think he's looking to find a Wobi. Uh, he plays it just to two defenders. Holy crap. I mean... <laughs> keep, keeper, no chance. I mean, keeper had no chance. Wow. He really did make a great connection with that. He didn't have a great game. I mean, he did hit the post light on for Bournemouth, actually, and nearly got something back for them. But, uh, mm. yeah. Let's see. Okay, so Torreira picks it up. Into Iwobi, into Kolasinac, not a great ball back. I guess he's looking for Mkhitaryan or Iwobi, but man, that's a fucking great finish. Probably the best goal we scored in, well, <laughs> brilliant. Okay, I mean, well, you couldn't do it if you tried, could you? I mean, it's one of those, you know, give them that a like hundred times, you wouldn't strike that ball so he's well. He's flying through the air and off the ground and he catches it with his toe. And, wow, yeah. If you could do that at the other end of the pitch, you'd be very happy. Very, very happy. So, look, <laughs> we're 1-0 we're up, and it looks as if we are going to get to halftime leading a game for the first time this season. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no, we don't. <laughs> oh, no, we don't. Um, I mean, what what did you make of their goal and the way that we conceded possession high up the pitch. I mean, they were, we were attacking. Um, we were attacking. There was basically 10 seconds of, of the half to go. We lose the ball in their area. I mean, where, where do you think we should apportion blame here in a way? Because... I'm not saying it's a Wobie's fault, really, because you lose the ball that high up the pitch. A lot of other stuff has got to happen for them to score. But when you've heard that there'll be one minute of uh, added time and you know you're right at the end of the half, mm. is it not more sensible just to keep possession and keep the ball and take the lead into halftime rather than run the risk of losing the ball the way we did and for them to break and, and score an equaliser? I, I think experienced players really should just do better in that situation rather than try something that could potentially backfire. Just keep the ball. Keep the ball. Go in at halftime, 1-0 up, and, uh, well, clearly that's not what we did. We did the other thing. Yeah, the other thing, the thing that we prefer doing. I, I, my take is a bit different. I think that the the onus is more on someone like... Kolasinac or God forbid we criticise Lucas Torreira I think there are other players in this team who <clears throat> maybe needed to be a bit cautious a bit conservative in that moment mm. in terms of their positioning you know we were caught really high up the pitch I, yeah. mean, I think it was like seven Arsenal players were sort of you know in their last 30 yards of the, of the field I'm looking and here there's a still just as Bournemouth are breaking Iwobi's in their box Mkhitaryan's in their box uh 
Torreira is the furthest man forward. Kalasinac is uh, stopping to have a, a little bit of a breather, cup of tea, maybe. Aubameyang is there as well. And uh, it's Bellerin who's just outside their box who makes a big effort to try and get back. Yeah, I mean, ludicrously on Sky, by the way. I don't know if you were watching the, the yeah. half-time coverage. But no, Bellerin I didn't watch half-time. They, Bellerin was who they singled out for criticism really? at half-time. They were like, his, his run back is wrong. He 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 runs in a zigzag manner. Where his, if he just ran in a straight line, he could get to the man. I was like, well, at least he's running back. What about the other four guys who are just like ahead of him up the pitch? But yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my issue is not really with Iwobi because I think a, I think that we've seen this thing in the last few weeks of... Uh, oh, we're back to A, by the way. We've gone back to yep, A, so yep, we've lost okay. our sort of sequential order. Um, of Unai Emery saying, you know, Iwobi's blossoming, but he needs to take risks and have the confidence to take risks as, as an attacking creative player. And I, and I sort of am inclined to agree with that. Basically, I think if a forward loses possession by trying to do something that's trying to create a goal in the opposition penalty box, I don't think they can be blamed for the concession of a goal at the other end. I think there's more onus on the rest of the team in, in that instance. I just think we were guilty collectively of poor game management. Mm. Um, and, and I'm just reluctant to, to pin that on, on one guy's shoulders. No. I, 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 I'm not suggesting that that's what you're doing, but I just you know when online you kind of see mm. um, the vitriol you know, I, I sort of, I, I saw a lot of people labelling that goal as Alex Awobi's fault, and I sort yeah. of feel like, well, your precious, your precious Lucas Torreira is playing number nine at that point, you know, and, and that's yeah. not his job. Uh, Awobi yeah. is at least doing his job, which is to try and create something in the opposition penalty box. Sure. So it, it feels weird to hang him out to drive. It, it was a very, uh, if I dare say it, a very Wenger-esque goal for us very. to concede, wasn't it? Yes, and it came at the end of a week in which we'd read stuff on the official website about how, you know, one of Emery's big focuses <laughs> has been to make us more secure against the counter-attack. I mean, we yeah. were absolutely undone. And credit to Bournemouth. I mean, there's a lot that's good about the goal from their perspective, particularly the finish is, yeah. is sensational. It's as good as Lerma's at the other end. But I, yeah, we were really caught out. And it was, I think, infuriating because of the timing particularly, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Second half then, I was a bit surprised that we didn't get a halftime change. I thought Same, yeah. maybe Henrik Mkhitaryan might make way for for somebody, for Mesut Ozil, uh, about whom we will undoubtedly talk a bit later on. I think we've probably got a question or two about Ozil, so we'll save mm. the Ozil discussion for that. But Mkhitaryan, I thought, had a stinker of a first half, a stinker of a second half as well. Um uh, again, I sort of compared him to Theo Walcott on Twitter, and people, um, some people took real offence at this. I'm not sure whether they were thought I was being insulting to Theo Walcott or to Henrik Mkhitaryan, but you know, to me, the the comparison is quite clear in that they're players capable of really exciting, top quality moments, but when they play poorly. They really, really play poorly. And that was evident yesterday with Mkhitaryan, you know, the way he dribbled the ball out of touch a couple of times. His passing was off, as Walcott's has been at times. Uh, the finishing was off. You know, you think about that late break when Aubameyang played him in and he took a heavy touch and then kicked the ball off his own foot out for a goal kick. Yeah. You know, I wasn't necessarily being disrespectful to either guy. It was just, that's who he reminds me of. And at times, I think I'd rather have Theo Walcott than Henrik Mkhitaryan, to be honest. Uh, he he was poor. But anyway, 
second half, I thought we might change things. I thought we might change things because it wasn't really working from an attacking point of view. We had a chance. I think Aubameyang had another chance, which he blazed over the bar from the edge of the box. And it wasn't working, but then a little bit of quick thinking got us the got us the second goal, the goal which ultimately turned out to be the winner. Yeah, I, I also was expecting a change. And actually, it was Bournemouth who changed. I think they switched to a, a back three. And to be honest, I'm not sure it did them any favours. I actually thought that, you know... They probably mm. had the better of the first half and less so in, in the second. Um, but yeah, I mean, the goal that we actually did score was a lovely goal. I mean, you know, really well constructed. I thought Alex Wobie's pass, you know, his pass to Kalasnach for the first goal is sort of routine. But on the second goal, it's a yeah, really great ball excellent. on his left foot. And similarly from Kalasnach, it's a, a perfect cross. And that's, I guess, you know, the advantage of having Aubameyang through the middle we know how predatory he can be in those situations although he probably should have had more goals than he than he ended up with yesterday um but you know he tucks it away and and that's that and actually I, I do think from that point on um we I don't know how comfortable did you feel after we were two one ahead did you think we're going to see this out I'd had a dream <laughs> in the week did you know about that no I I dreamt in the week that we were two one up at Bournemouth I was actually on the bench for Arsenal at the time, which thankfully I wasn't yesterday. I'd have brought and you on could, for Mkhitaryan even. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm not even sure that's a compliment. But he, uh, we conceded a last-minute equaliser oh, in the no. dream. Yeah, to finish 2-2. So I was watching it thinking, oh, I've seen this play out before. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of moments, but they didn't okay. exert constant pressure. No, they didn't. And I, you know, I can't feel totally comfortable with a 2-1 lead. Uh, away from home because of a the the just watching this team and watching these defenders and knowing that we we still have this little appetite for self destruction uh, that runs through us and we saw it at Crystal Palace for example where we conceded a penalty and something like that wouldn't have surprised me yesterday you know I was worried about the the space they were getting down the left hand side you know we all have our worries about Mustafi. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, there was a moment, uh, obviously very late on, where where uh, I just don't have, <laughs> just don't the free have kick the, the free box. kick on the edge of the box. It's like there's three Arsenal players between that guy and the ball. Bellerin was there. Socrates was there. Socrates, who had, who had blocked a shot with his face earlier on, and Xhaka were there, all standing in front of, of the guy who had the ball. I think Bellerin was closest, and he still made a, a, a lunge, went off his feet and made a lunge. But look, that's, that's you know, a different issue. To talk about how comfortable I felt, not that comfortable. But not as it wasn't as if they were making uh, chance after chance after chance. Until we made changes, we brought Genduzi on for Torreira. We brought Aaron Ramsey on them for Iwobi. And in the last 10 minutes, they had a chance with uh, junior Stanislas. Yeah. He, he made a bad connection on a toe poke, which if he'd made a good connection would definitely have been a goal because it was so close to goal. It was one of those who would have gone through defenders' legs and the keeper would have just been rooted to the spot. They hit the post. There was another moment where they got clean through on goal. I think it was Stanislas again, clean through, went between uh, Kolasinac and holding. They played a ball in. Stanislas got in behind. I think it was Socrates again who made a really last-ditch kind of effort to to get there, and the ball came to Leno, and he got fouled. The guy jumped into him. And then there was the Leno save um, from Socrates 
it would have been an own goal. So you mm. look at what we did in the last 10 minutes after making the changes. The changes made us weaker. I know there's a natural momentum in a game where, you know, the, the, the side chasing a goal is going to put a bit more pressure on. But again, we got on our fucking horse and we rode the horse. We rode yeah. the goddamn horse. Um, I mean, a lucky manager can be a valuable thing. Yeah. I, I didn't, I wasn't massively on board with the changes that were made. I mean, taking Torreira off for Ganduzi, you know, I would have yeah. seen, they would have had a few players ahead of Torreira to come off. On he that did pitch. explain it that, he, you know, he'd been uh, away and played two yeah. internationals and maybe, you know, maybe there's something going on in terms of, you know, how they manage him, uh, you know, how much they expected him to be able to do physically. Uh, on the on the back of uh, two internationals, so you know, I guess we have to defer to his greater knowledge. But when you're taking off a player who is uh, genuinely defensive minded uh, most of the time, then uh, it is a bit of a. I thought we might shore things up by taking uh, Genduzi on for Mkhitaryan, for example, would have been an, uh, an yeah. option for me. That's that's what I was thinking, and, and I would have had Mkhitaryan coming off. You know, probably earlier than it will be. Again, you don't know what the travel's been like. You don't know what the players' fitness is like underlying. But um, I was surprised by some of the changes. Let's say. Also, you know, I know Mohamed Al Nani isn't allowed to play in the Premier League, but potentially he was a, <laughs> a, a an option uh, for a more conservative-minded midfielder. Look, we we got away with it. I know sort of the XG for the game um, suggests that, you know, ultimately this was the correct outcome. I think Bournemouth had about 0.7 or something like that to our 1.6 or something like that. But I mean, I, uh, in terms of the way we saw it out, I, I, I was, I, I think we're lucky. I think we're lucky to come away with three points in that game. I think it's one of those narrow margins games that could have gone one way or the other. We've seen a couple of those be draws in the last few weeks. And this one was a win, and I think we needed it because I think another draw, even though that wouldn't have been a disastrous result, I just think it would have mm. uh, really slowed our momentum right down and sort of taken the wind out of the sails of this run. Whereas now, you know, I mean, I don't know a single Arsenal fan who gives two hoots about this Europa League game on Thursday. It's all about Sunday yeah. and the North London derby and a chance to go above Spurs. Yeah. Um, so, look... Delighted with the win, delighted with the result, good to get back to winning ways, three points. And yet again, we're sort of talking about the performance. I feel like, you know, in some ways, I don't quite know how to feel, actually. I'm really quite confused, James, about how to feel about what's going on at Arsenal under Unai Emery. I mean, I, I like the results. I like the fact that he's willing to to change things tactically, even if I don't think yesterday it was particularly effective. Then again, you can say it, it is confusing. Everything is confusing. Kolasinac was terrible defensively, but was involved in our two goals. It's sort of like there's a yin and a yang in, in almost everything that we do. We're winning games and we're riding our luck and we're getting away with things. But at the end of the day, we're winning. And isn't that the most important thing? But can we not talk about the performances? Should we just stand there and go, hurrah, we're winning, and not think about the way that we're playing or or the decisions that he's making in-game, before games, formations, team selections? Mm. I mean, we have to. So it is, it's a weird... I, I feel weird because I don't quite know how to feel. I think, I think I've made this point on the, on the podcast before, 
But the part of it is that we, without wishing to look backwards too much, we are accustomed to having a manager who obsessed about performance. And I think we now have one who obsesses more on results. And instead of, you know, under Arsene Wenger, there was always a sense of uh, a bigger picture look at things. You know, we're, we're looking ahead. What's the style of this team? What is the culture of this team? Mm. How does that play out over the course of a season? With Emery, either by necessity or by his very nature, it feels like there is a, a more microscopic view, which is, you know, how do I win this game? Yeah. How do I win this match? Mm. And ultimately, the focus is more on results than performance because it's fundamentally a more short-term approach. So I think there is a sort of cultural shift that we're experiencing mm. which makes us feel a bit confused. However, I would also say you also have to listen to the coach and he is saying all the time, this isn't good enough. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think that's just hot air. I think we have to hope that he recognises that and he's saying, yes, we're getting results, but you know, some of these draws should be wins. We need to perform better in the first halves. We need to control the games better than we do. We need do. to defend not, better, yeah. Yeah, it's not like he's in complete denial and saying, I'm a genius, everything's hunky-dory. So I, I think that we're right to be um, cautiously pleased with how it's going. Because ultimately, you have to you have to be pleased with the results. You yeah. can't be like, you can't, you know, not, not enjoy a, an unbeaten run like this. But... I do think it's it, it won't take long, will it? It would only take one or two defeats for people to say, "Well, look, these problems were there all along." By the way, I just hit myself in the face when I said, "Well, then. How, did that, how did you hit yourself in the I, face?" I, like I, I sort of threw a hand out in gesture when I went, "Well," yeah. and it sort of went up in the air, hit me in the side of my face, my headphones, and made this noise, ah, like that. Right. Okay. Well. <laughs> I'm, I'm like an Arsenal defender, you know, on this Arsenal team. It all seems to be going well. I'm making a cogent point and then I just hit yourself hit in the, the face. face. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is a new development. Self-harm during, <laughs> during the podcast, uh, causing yourself injury. Look, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm absolutely on board with the results. Do you know what's interesting? Um, after 13 games last season, mm. we had 25 points. And we were in fourth position. This season, we have 27 points and we're in fifth position, a point behind fourth. Um, what exactly that tells us, I'm not quite sure. Um, but well, I, thought I mean, was, of course, yeah, it is interesting, but I, in the second half of last season is really when our away form, for example, just completely yeah. collapsed. Yeah. Um, so it will be interesting to see because our away form has dramatically imp improved yeah. through Emery. I think you have to give him that. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if we can keep that going, you know, through this difficult Christmas period mm. and beyond. I mean, looking at the league table, we're one point off the top four. Um, we have an opportunity to go level on points with Spurs. How, uh, what's the what's the goal difference situation there? It's identical. So it's identical. So a win would put us we above them. Go ahead. Right. That's right. And also... Let's not forget, I think we also have to look in both directions. Manchester United dropped uh, another couple of points yeah. at home against Crystal Palace and we we bought some ground on mm. them, which I think could be really valuable. Particularly as we're playing Manchester United next week. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it, it, it was a really, really important result. And Bournemouth are 
you know, they are in that clutch of teams along with sort of Watford and Everton who are kind of chasing the top six. You know, they're not too far away. Um, so I, I do think it was a fantastic result and I think it gives us a good platform. But mm. it, the next couple of league games are massive. Mm. They are. And, you know, you have to you have to think about the the way we've played in some games. I mean, Liverpool was really positive. Wolves was pretty terrible. And when you look at Wolves, they've lost four of their last five games. You know, that's a game at home that really we should have taken three points from or you would expect us to take three points from. So, you know, while we can all be absolutely up for the unbeaten run and the the, the result was really positive and everything yesterday, uh, we can't be blind to some of the problems that we have. And, I, I you know, and here's the thing. I don't think Unai Emery is necessarily blind to those problems either because, as you say, he's been pointing them out himself. He's been referring to them in his interviews, in his post-match interviews, his pre-match interviews, the, the interview with Marca, you know, the talk about defensive focus and being absolutely um, determined to find a balance between the great attacking play that Arsenal are famed for or renowned for, but also a bit more parsimony when it comes to the chances we allow opposition and the goals that we that we let in. You know, we have uh, we have conceded 16 goals uh, in the Premier League this season, which is uh, quite a lot. Certainly, much more than the top two and the uh, the next two, Tottenham and Chelsea, have, have conceded 11 each. You know, so there is there is an issue there. So. That's the positive, I think, you know, is that he isn't sort of glossing over these problems and saying, look, we won, don't worry about it. You know, um, the way Arsene Wenger would do sometimes after we'd lose, you know, we talk about character and spirit and mental strength and not really talk about the performances or the deficiencies that his team had, whereas Emery seems prepared to do that. So... Uh, you know, the, the the fact that he will try things on a game-by-game -game basis is also his way of trying to address those issues. He hasn't quite found yeah. the solutions. That's why I think it's just a little bit worrying is that he keeps trying different things and isn't really getting what he might want from them, you know? Like, okay, let's try this. Like, we played the back three yesterday, and let's say it clicked and it worked really well defensively. He might say, okay, all right, I'm a bit light on centre-halves, but in terms of how it made the team balanced at the back, I can go for that again. Whereas yesterday we won the game, but the back three uh, and the wingbacks uh, didn't really make us any more defensively secure, particularly particularly down the left-hand side. I, I know what you mean, but I think one of the big frustrations under the previous manager was that sense of whatever happens, it kind of feels like the same team in the same system being yeah. put out week after week. And after the Wolves game, you know, and, and that little run of draws, a lot of us looked at the squad and at Emery and said he needs to change things up here because this isn't quite right. And I do think, credit where it's due, he, he did at least try something, which was quite a bold move, really, not just switching to the back three, but also leaving out Mesut Ozil that we're going to come on to. Uh, and ultimately... He got the result. Now, I agree with you. It wasn't a convincing enough performance for it to be like, well, we found something here that we're going to stick with necessarily. But mm. I do like how flexible he is prepared to be yeah. in his thinking. Well, that's what I was saying. That's, you know, the, the sort of the, the positive aspect of, mm. of our struggles, if you like, to find a cohesive system is that he isn't just trying the same thing over and over again. So, no, no exactly. Yeah. Um, 
but it's similar performances, aren't they? Sort of similarly disjointed. So yeah. Yeah, that yeah, is, yeah, that's the, the the constant worry. Okay, well, look, will we take a break and then come back with an Ozil question and more? Is there anything else you want to touch on from from yesterday? Was there anything that? Um, no, no, not really. I was just thinking. Um, I mean, annoying, I suppose, what happened in the Spurs Chelsea game at the weekend because I sort of went into that thinking, I reckon Chelsea could turn them over here and that could dent their confidence, but they got a really positive result, didn't they, Tottenham? So um, they did. Yeah. I mean, I just that game looms very large in all my thoughts at the moment, but I doubt I'm alone in that. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, we might, I'm sure we'll reference that um, because we do have this Europa League game. So we'll, we'll take a break here. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Just to remind you, if you fancy some extra listening, we started the Pastcast Extra uh, last week on Patreon, which is really quite fun, where we podcast a game as if it's just happened, and we chose uh, Arsenal 5, Middlesbrough 3, uh, as our first episode, uh, lots of good feedback on it. It was good fun to do, James. It was really good fun. Yeah, I mean, what, what a game to start with as well. Extraordinary yeah. match. Uh, we do have another one coming up as well, which is the 2-1 win over Barcelona in the Champions League in 2011 when Andre Arshavin scored that particular goal. That's coming up. You can get access to that as well as a brand new episode of My Arse coming up tomorrow. Uh, with comedian, TV presenter, science book writer, and all-round good guy, Dara O'Brien. So if you fancy that, sign up at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. You get access to all the extra content there, and it does help uh, support everything that we do here on the website and keeps uh, everything else nice and free. It costs a fiver a month plus VAT if you're in the EU. It's patreon.com forward slash arseblog. So... Let's get on with the questions. A lot of them about uh, Mesut Ozil and his absence yesterday, James. Uh, mm. I'm just trying to find the one that I had here. Um, boom, boom, boom. I can't find it. Have you got one there? To I've hand? got a few. I mean, Don Julio, it? who's at Don Julio AFC, said, how do you lot feel about Emery? 
saying our highest paid player wasn't capable of playing because it was too demanding <clears> a game. Uh, and then bigger, bigger, the, the, the bigger picture questions too from uh, at Eggstino, who asks about if Ozil would have been given a contract under you know uh, Raul and Sven if Gazidis hadn't been here. I don't know. It's, uh, so many questions about Mesut Ozil. I mean, it was uh, the thing I found most extraordinary, and we will come on to those specific questions. But was that when the team came out? Um, all the talk seemed to me was about the back three. It almost was like not a huge talking mm. point that he wasn't playing. And I think that tells you something in itself. Maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, Ozil being left out of an away game. Mm. Uh, We've sort of grown accustomed what, to it. What, I, I mean, it is, an, it is an amazing thing for Emery to say that he, you know, you can understand I need something different physically. But I, you know what was compounded it even for me the fact that he left him out is maybe the biggest surprise but the fact that he never brought him on particularly you know as we were looking for a goal in the second half Mkhitaryan was was dreadful all day and you know if he doesn't trust Mesut Ozil away from home at Bournemouth can you know can he play him away from home anywhere yeah by the way, Andrew, just to stop, so yeah. I, I can hear like a hum on this line that I couldn't hear before. Right. Like a kind of... Um, like a kind of fan sound, almost. But yeah. You know what it is? Tell me if it gets louder. Tell me if it gets louder. Yeah. 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 They're building next door. Ah, uh, right. So right. it's sort of low in the background, so... Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, <clears throat> so what did you say just I said, time? like, if you can't play him at Bournemouth, can he play him anywhere? Yeah, I mean, it, at home? At home, is that of the course. Answer? Yeah, of course. But, you know, this is Bournemouth away. And look, I, I get that you want your team to be more defensively secure or you want players who are perhaps a little more physical not that I think Mkhitaryan is particularly uh, much of an improvement in terms of his defensive work than than Ozil you know he he can run of course but he's not particularly good in the tackle uh, he didn't really contribute a great deal in, in that yesterday but you can be more secure by having the ball you know you can also be more secure by doing more with the ball uh, and I think Ozil would have given us a bit more craft. It would have given us a bit more penetration, perhaps. You know, some of the runs that Aubameyang was looking to make, Ozil could have been the guy to, to make the pass there. So, you know, he is trying to find a balance. He is looking for two players who can do something. Maybe he was looking for those two players to do what they did away at Fulham. You know, Ozil mm. or Iwobi and Mkhitaryan were very good that day, but then everybody was good that day. It was a really good team performance, and we also played with two strikers rather than rather than just one. So for me, it raises really big questions about what the future is for Mesut Ozil under Unai Emery, because if he's not, if he doesn't fancy him, uh, with all due respect to Bournemouth, to to perform or to do a job away at a team who are going to finish mid-table at best, um, then. It it really speaks to how he views what Ozil can contribute uh, to this team. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe maybe we're thinking too much about it. Maybe, as you said, this is a a micro or a macro decision based on the fact he had to play a back three. He had no Lacazette. He wanted to do something specific for this game, but. It's still it's still hard to get your head around, isn't it? That that three hundred and fifty thousand pound a week player 
can't be trusted away from home against one of the, the, the league's smallest clubs. Yeah, I think it's it still highlights something. You know, the fact that he essentially chose Iwobi and Mkhitaryan over Ozil, I think tells you a little bit about what he thinks of him mm. as a player. And, and I also think, looking at the player's form, I mean, Ozil has not been great. I mean, there was that extraordinary Leicester game in which he was sensational. But I, I do feel like outside of that, he hasn't performed to the level that's expected of him. I do think that the the big problem is that we are so committed to him financially. And, you know, I've seen a couple of questions come in saying, oh, would you sell Meza Ozil in January? I don't think we can sell Meza Ozil in January or anytime soon because I can't see how anyone would contemplate paying him what we're paying him. So I, I do feel that there's a danger. I know he's a brilliant talented player on his day but there's a danger he becomes a bit of a an albatross for Emery because you know ultimately I, I, he's, he's sort of tied to him isn't he yeah he is and I think uh, Arsenal Matt who's at Arsenal Matt one says do you think the Ozil 350,000 a week deal was connected to to the Adidas deals because he's one of their main men mm. and his uh, agent spoke very uh even if I don't believe that he turned down a million pounds a week from China, he spoke about the marketing aspect of of Ozil's value, you know, his Twitter following and all those kind of things, which maybe shouldn't make any difference, but probably do in the grand scheme of things because clubs have to think about branding and marketing and shirt sales and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, are Adidas going to be happy if we sell one of their biggest stars? Um before they take over as our shirt manufacturers. Will that play a part in in any decision that we make? You'd like to think that we would uh, operate for purely football reasons. Maybe the other part of that is, you know, is Mesut Ozil's star on the wane from an Adidas point of view as well? He's still hugely popular. I mean, you can't say anything even vaguely negative about him on Twitter without a load of people jumping on you and trying to trying to call you all kinds of names, you know, even if you're reasoned with your criticism or, or whatever it might be. But I think you're right. We're not getting anything like what we should be getting from Mesut Ozil this season. Again, whether that's down to him or whether it's down to Unai Emery not finding a way of accommodating him or, or simply because Mesut Ozil is difficult to get into the kind of team that he wants. It's really, it's a really awkward. It's becoming an awkward situation, isn't it? Yeah, and it, I do feel like that's it. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's that Özil doesn't naturally fit into an Unai Emery style team, mm. um, and we're seeing that more often than not. And actually, I mean, it's not just Özil. I mean, I was watching yesterday's game. I'm sure you were thinking the same. Looking at the wages that we're committing to Özil and the wages that we've committed to Mikatari yeah. as well, and thinking. Well, that's a, a really troubling use of resource, isn't it? I mean, that's so much money tied up in those two contracts. Yeah. You know, the uh, the only people who can be happy with that swap deal that we did in January uh, are Alexis Sanchez and Henrik Mkhitaryan and their respective agents and managers. Because Manchester yeah. United can't be happy with what Sanchez has given them. And I'm not sure we can be that happy with what Mkhitaryan is, is giving us. I mean, he's capable of flashes and goals and... But man, it's hard to watch. And like you say, we've we're, we're people were critical of like Aaron Ramsey looking to double his wages. A story came out last week, and Arsenal was sort of like, "Well, we make the decisions, blah blah blah." If you're Aaron Ramsey, 
and you see Henrik Mkhitaryan on 220 grand a week, why the hell wouldn't you look for something similar to that? Because if that's the level of performance that 220,000 euros uh, or pounds a week gets you, well, you know, he can surely feel like he, he contributed a bit more. You know, I think, and maybe people won't disagree, or people will say, there he goes again, he loves Aaron Ramsey, etc., etc. I think there's probably a good case to be made for using Aaron Ramsey in the North London Derby on Sunday on the right-hand side. Oh, I, I I absolutely agree. In fact, I think I had a question. Um, Goonability said, given Mkhitaryan's form and Iwobi struggled to dominate from the right-hand side, is it worth giving Ramsey a run there, especially given his work rate, which yeah. may be needed in our tough upcoming fixtures? Yeah, I would. He's played well there before. You remember that game we, we spanked Liverpool at home and he played from the right-hand side and was really good there. I remember a game as well against Chelsea away. I think maybe we'd come off the back of a heavy defeat and he had to play on the right-hand side. And You know, he can play a disciplined game if he's told to play a disciplined game. Like, I don't think it's his, his position week in, week out, and you're not going to get that kind of discipline from him week in, week out, because he does want to get forward. He does want to get into the box. But if you ask me right now, against Spurs on Sunday, would I rather Mkhitaryan or Aaron Ramsey on the right-hand side? It'd, it'd be Aaron Ramsey. It definitely would be, because I just think Mkhitaryan is in terrible form. He doesn't look any closer to playing himself back into form. And Ramsey is a, a fairly big-game player, Likes a goal against Spurs. Yeah. I think you work well enough with, with Bellerin. Gives us a bit more physicality. And, you know, I, I go for it. In the absence of any better option, I'd certainly go for it. Um, but, you know, it really depends on how Emery sees Ramsey. Whether it's worth, you know, if he's, if he's thinking pragmatically about how to get a result. If this is, if this is the way he's going to operate, how do I get a result in this game? He's got to give serious consideration to Ramsey on the right on on Sunday. So, but yes, it depends what he's uh, going to do on on Thursday. So, yeah, and it, you know, just coming back to Mkhitaryan and Mesut Özil, I mm. mean, Özil specifically, do you think that this is a one-off? Like, do you expect Mesut Özil projecting forward a week to the North London derby, mm. one of our biggest games of the season? Do you expect him to be in that starting eleven? I don't know. Mm. I, I I mean, I would because it's a big game. It's at home. He's our biggest star, our highest paid player, a creative genius at times. So on that basis, yes, I would expect him to be in the team. However, if he, if Emery doesn't view him as strong enough to play against a Bournemouth side. I know we were away and blah, blah, blah. But Tottenham are going to be far more threatening at our place than Bournemouth were at theirs. So it's got to raise questions as to whether or not he's going to start. Yeah, Mm. it's... it's, uh... It's difficult to say, isn't it? Mm. I think he will because it's a home game, but isn't that mad? Isn't that mad that it's like, well, he can play in the home games? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you know, £600,000 a week, practically, we're paying Ozil and Mkhitaryan. £600,000 a week. We're not getting anywhere close to what we should be getting for those kind of wages from either player. Uh, no, and I think, you know, ultimately, the decision about Aaron Ramsey to withdraw the contracts off mm. has been made because we've said, well, look, we've not got enough resource available. Mm. But I don't think it's a ludicrous thing to suggest that, you know, 
250 grand or three of that 600 grand would probably be better spent on Aaron Ramsey at this point. I know that ship has sailed, mm. but uh, it, it does feel like we are wasting money there. It just feels like it's an exorbitant amount of money for not enough product, ultimately. Mm. Um, okay, here is just sort of uh, another little Ozil question. Uh, Tokyo Gunner says, would you be surprised if Emery includes Ozil in the squad on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, we had a question on uh, Facebook from Linus Widner who said, how many first-team players would you send to Vorskler, who and why? So maybe we should... Uh, Let's pick a team, teams. will we? Yeah, I mean, would I send Meza Ozil? I don't... I don't think I would... Uh, I don't think I would, no, because I think I'd probably pick him on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so, because I certainly am not in a hurry to pick Mkhitaryan again. But he can't go, of course, can he? Am I right in saying that? that he can't no, go? that's uh, Azerbaijan, so he can go what to I've Ukraine. What I've done is just mi- mixed up my nations. There. You have, So indeed. he can go to the Ukraine. If anyone can go to the Ukraine, because apparently the... Uh, political situation there is well yeah just as as we speak on on monday morning uh there's a story on the bbc saying that the ukraine parliament is to decide whether or not to bring in martial law um because of what's going on with russia Uh, russia captured Mm -hmm. three of its navy ships and there are obviously uh, consequences to that um it's a major escalation uh, apparently that's what they're calling it between the two countries who have obviously um, got some history there. So we'll have to wait and see whether anything affects the game on Thursday or not. But let's assume right now that the game is going to go ahead. What's your team? So you're going to start Petr Cech in goal. You're going to start mm. Petr Cech in goal. Mm. I mean, if, if it was down to me, by the way, I, I would be sending <clears throat> as few players as possible. Yeah, me um, too. But I'm not sure. You know, Emery hasn't taken that approach at any point, has he, in this competition no. until now? Do you expect him to to shift from I that? Think, I think I think inevitably he's going to have to use a few players to give his team a bit of quality and experience. But I would be inclined to use as few as possible out there. I have gone I mean he can't play a back 3. You can't go to Ukraine and play a back 3 with our only three central defenders. So he's no, gonna he's gonna revert you. to a back four, I think. But what fullbacks does he have available? I mean is Lickstein I don't know. I don't know. He was If he is, then I guess it'd be Licksteiner and Jenkinson or something like that. Yeah, he's gonna have to play Jenkinson, maybe on the right or the left. Who knows? Um there is a, a young guy, isn't there? Um I'll say Tutu who's just back from injury, so maybe he could play a right back. But, I, you know, centre-halves, who do you play? I mean, I think well, Mustafi, simply because I wouldn't... Maybe, maybe Mustafi and Holding. Um, um, yeah. Just because they're the most physically resilient, I guess, of the ones that we have. Yeah. Uh, you know, he doesn't like to seem to give Socrates too many games in a, in a row. Yeah, I mean, Socrates did look a little rusty yesterday, didn't he? What did you make of his performance? I thought he had some really good moments and then some really weird moments. I, I thought his his first half was full of wrestling, wasn't it? Yeah. It was... And there was that one instance where he just sort of completely abandoned the ball and, like, had his arms around it. I think he got booked for it. Do yeah. You know the one I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the one. I mean, there was one where he, he, he safely um, shepherded the ball out of play and it was, like, 50% strong defending, 50% of foul. 
And the referee, yeah. I think, just gave him the benefit of the doubt. You know, I don't know. It was a strange performance. I think he grew into the game, to be honest. Um, he did grow into it, and uh, but he did look rusty in the first half, which you would expect because he's been out for, for a while and he did have a game for Greece. But, you know, the only other option I think we've got at centre-half is the young Spanish guy, Pleguezelo. Um, Iggy, yeah. Yeah, so he he could be about the only other option that we've got at centre-half. I mean, let- he is an option, I suppose, yeah. having played a game already this season in the Capital One Cup. Yeah. Um, Carabao Cup, really. Yeah. Sorry to the guys at Carabao, they'll be furious about mm. Um, no free Carabao for you. I know. Damn it. Sorry, guy. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I would play him because I, I'm like, yeah. we need as many players fit for Spurs as possible. I would probably play him alongside Mustafi, so. Yeah, OK, I could go with that. And then left back, whatever he's got available to him. Um, midfield, I think we're looking at Elmeni. I presume Genduzi. Yeah. Um Maybe Smith Rowe, maybe, is the most advanced. Or? Maybe Smith Rowe, yeah. I I wouldn't uh, play Aaron Ramsey on Thursday because I would use him in in the in the North London Derby, but I have a feeling that that Emery might. I mean he used Maitland Niles, didn't he? As, as one of the as a winger in the in the Carabao Cup. So he could play in one of the wide positions. Who else? I mean, who else is there? For the wide positions, yeah, not many. I mean, I- I'm imagining that we're going to say Eddie Nketiah up front. Yeah, it's got to be Nketiah. I mean, he can't play. He'd be mad to play Aubameyang, I think. Um, so Eddie Nketiah up front and maybe somebody else in the in the, uh, in the the attacking. So there's, yeah, we're missing a forward, aren't we? Because we've got... Uh, and Ketia, then Smithrow, maybe Maitland Niles. We need one more. Mm. Um, I mean, genuinely, maybe I would play Mkhitaryan because I think he played himself out of the team for Sunday. Yeah, yeah, he could play. I'd have no problem with that. Um, you know, we could bring somebody like Joe Willock in as well, uh, yeah, and maybe play season. maybe play Smithrow as one of the front three. Yeah, Joe Willock has apparently been very good. Yeah. Uh, in the youth team, so and playing a little bit more advanced as well, I think at times. So that 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 could be one to look at. Mm. But yeah, I I mean, whatever happens with Lacazette's fitness, I think it's got to be Enketia. He came on for a minute, didn't he, at the at the weekend, and it sort of felt like that was Emery sort of saying, okay, you're yeah, gonna get some some playing time from now on. You know, you are part of the squad that we, we're going to require. I mean, we will require him, particularly in the Europa League. I think at this point. Mm. He's certainly got some thinking to do for this one because it's going to be a it's going to be a, a tough trip because it's a it's a long way uh, to Ukraine and then I think there's a portion of the trip has to be made by road, so mm-hmm. it's not like we're flying into an airport and then getting a half an hour bus ride to the city centre to to play a game. There's a there's a fair bit of travel involved in that and I think he's got to take that into account as well. Remember the last time he brought Mesut Ozil? Um, did did Ozil play? I think he did play. He came on maybe in the in the game and then missed the Fulham game with a back injury. So, you know, he took Hector Bellerin, for example, all the way to Azerbaijan, didn't he? And then didn't even include him in the squad. Um, yes. So, you know, he's got to be really sensible about what he does. I know he's tried to to maintain 
the idea that the Europa League games are somehow as competitive or as important as the Premier League games. But, you know, this is a North London derby against uh, a Tottenham team playing pretty well at the moment. Uh, and we're going to have to seriously play our, our strongest, freshest team. I mean, that's another part of the Ozil decision as well, isn't it, from from Sunday? He didn't do anything during the interval because he's not playing for Germany. He had two weeks yeah. off, so he's absolutely fresh. So if Ozil doesn't play on uh, Thursday, it'll be, what, three weeks without a game? I mean, verging on Rusty, you'd have to say at that point. Hmm. Yeah, stranger and stranger. Yeah. And also, we've got a huge away game coming up at Manchester United. Mm. And you have to think, if Meza Ozil's not trusted to play an away game at Bournemouth, he's got no chance of being involved at Old Trafford. I guess, but maybe it depends on what way Emery thinks we can hurt United. You and know? what he thinks United's plan is. You know, yeah. Bournemouth, you know, have a very particular approach and maybe Emery's just tailoring to that. But mm. it, it is... It is a shift, isn't it? Because Ezra's gone from a player who, if fit, started every game yeah. to someone who's who's in and out, and yeah, I, I, it does take some. It'll take some getting used to for him as much as anything. Yeah. So Ozil's, if he doesn't play on Thursday, he'll go into the North London derby on the second of December, uh, with his last game being on the eleventh of November. So, yeah. Mm. Well, Took look, a few weeks yeah, off. it's just, nice work if you can get it. Absolutely. Absolutely, for for that money. Okay, uh, you've got. Uh, have you got a question or? Yeah, this is just one from Edie, who's at J underscore Ede, who says, "Is Aubameyang doing enough in games, or is he doing exactly what we need him to? He seems fairly anonymous for eighty of the ninety minutes, but can pop up with an important goal on most occasions." And mm. then there was another question about Aubameyang. Uh, where's that gone? Hang on. Oh yeah, John D Barker, who said, mm. "I was good enough." But not good enough yesterday. He had some good service and missed a couple of sitters. Why is he so much more comfortable when Laka's playing with him? How can we create similar relationships in the team? I just wondered, you know, we've yeah. been waiting to see Aubameyang through the middle. We saw it yesterday. What did you make of it? He scored the winning goal. <laughs> he did I mean, indeed. Ultimately, he scored the winning goal. I mean, we had, a, I had one here as well from Madwire1 at Madwire1, who says, I didn't rate Obama, uh, Obama's performance yesterday. Offers us nothing outside the penalty box. We've no identity up top, passenger in brackets. It showed me why Lacazette has been chosen as first choice by the old and new manager and why Obama Yang uh, struggles uh, sides. I think he means on the left-hand side. Um, but I think that's the player he is. He's not going to be the focal point of your attack, like Olivier Giroud or even Lacazette to an extent. Lacazette gets much more involved and can be a player uh, through which we combine and make make sort of a focal point of the attack. He can bring others into play, play with his back to goal. That's what he can do. But what Aubameyang will do is finish. He's a finisher. Mm. He's a guy who'll get on the end of things. And ultimately yesterday, despite the fact he missed that chance in the first half, which I think he should have scored from, the second one probably should have done at least uh, got it on target anyway but when the chance came he was there on the end of it and I'm trying to think who else in the team would have been on the end of that ball across from Kolasinac who else in the squad that, that's not Lacazette's game really is it you know he doesn't attack the ball in the six yard box like that no, um, it's not a Wobie's game it's not a Wobie. 
maybe, I mean, uh, maybe, maybe Aaron Ramsey. That's exactly it. I was just going to say maybe Ramsey because of the way he likes to to get into the box. So if you're expecting Aubameyang to to be more involved as a centre forward, or if you're expecting him to to bring others into play and to hold the ball up and to to do all that, then you're going to be disappointed. That's not what he does. What he does is what he did yesterday, and that's finish. Give him chances, and he will score. And he did that, but I mean, I get, I do understand that. Um, if you're looking for more from a centre forward, his performances will frustrate you. I don't know that he necessarily plays better with Lacazette in the team either. Does he? Is that an assertion we can make? Not really. Not really. I think sometimes Arsenal look a bit better. But I think that's more to do with Lacazette than it is to do with Aubameyang. Mm. And, and I think your point about who else would have been in the box to, to score that goal is a good one. And I think that's partly why I like it when we get both Lacazette and Aubameyang on the field. Because I don't think we have enough players in the starting eleven who are goal scorers. Mm. Um, you, know, you know, when you look at Shaka, Torreira, Iwobi, Mkhitaryan, Ozil, they're none of them... Predatory, you know, they're none of them guys who you'd necessarily say, oh, they'll maybe Mikatarian. You know, that's the one thing Mikatarian's got in his game that makes you think maybe he's worth persisting with. I mean, as, as poor as he was yesterday, he had seven shots in the course of the game. So he does have a knack of. He had appearing. seven shots. Yeah. Were any of them Which, on target? One, one was on target. Yeah, I remember <laughs> it as well. It was a little dribbly one that was really easy for the keeper. But in terms of like cropping up in the box, I guess he has got a bit of a habit of being in decent positions. Of course, he's not really taken advantage of them. At the no. Moment, but um, mm. I don't think we have enough players like that. I don't think we have enough goal scorers in the team, basically. Um, Aubameyang yesterday was exactly what you will get from Aubameyang if you mm. play him at centre-forward. That's, that is, I think, it. You know, He won't be massively involved, but he will get two or three chances in the game and probably score one. Um, yeah that's the player that we've bought that's and the player I, that we've bought and he won the game for us yesterday his goal was the winning goal he scored 10 goals this season mm-hmm. you can't argue with his goal scoring record but you've got to be aware that um, he's not going to be the all round player or the all round centre forward that that some people would like him to be that's just not who he is yeah absolutely okay um, I have a question here. Uh, I did have a question, and now I've lost it. Um, okay, one second. What was it about? It was about uh, the January transfer window. I'm just flicking through all my questions here. Oh, okay, it's from Tom Woolsgrove, who is at Desmond underscore Dex. And he says, I give you the power, the power to sell three players guaranteed for their market value in January. Who do you choose? Um, <laughs> interesting. Three players guaranteed for their market value. And I suppose I can, presumably I can sort of then set about replacing them in yeah. that January window as well. Yeah. Um, I would probably first choose Aaron Ramsey. And I only say that because... He is going to go for nothing otherwise, and I find that so frustrating that if there was a way to extract something like his value for him at mm-hmm. this point, I would do it. So I would choose Aaron Ramsey first. Um, then, now let me think. 
I'm going to discount Danny Welbeck. That would be an unfair pick because obviously he wouldn't pass a medical anywhere anyway. Right. I would. I would probably then choose. I mean, I'm trying to not be too influenced by what I saw yesterday, but I'd probably choose Henrik Mkhitaryan because I feel like his pay packet could be invested in a superior manner. And also I feel like I would pick him as well, just to throw one in here. I'd pick him because I I feel like the value he has will be decreasing quite quickly. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Fair. And then there's a few names in contention. Mm. Um, Kalasinac is definitely on the list. Yeah. Because I feel like he's under a decent contract. He probably has some value left in him. If you're going to sell him, you should probably do it quick. Um, Elneny would be on that list just because I don't think the manager really fancies him. That's so, one of mine. One of mine would be Elneny because we're not going to we're not selling a player who is crucial in any way. He's, he may have some market value. Again, a player whose value is going to be decreasing because he's not playing, and that just you know it, it really does affect the transfer fee. So he would be somebody who I would uh, sell for whatever market value you would get for him. Now I don't know I don't know what that is. Should I have a look and see what transfer market transfer market? Oh well, they decide say, ultimately. They decide what what his transfer value is. Uh, okay, I think that might be my. Do you know what? Actually, I think uh, nine million. I think would, nine million. Wow. Mm. I think that would be my three, which would be Ramsey, Elneny, okay. and Mkhitaryan. But okay. Kalasnac is very close. Who would your three be? My three would be Elneny, Mkhitaryan, uh, who's got a transfer value of thirty-one million pounds, apparently, according I mean, to Transfer Markt. I would definitely sell Mkhitaryan, and my other one would be Mustafi. I would sell Mustafi for his market value of twenty-two point five million pounds. That would be your best ever day. That would be twenty-two. That would be amazing. It's like uh, who? What's the the story? The magic beans. Be like fucking selling yeah. magic beans to some cons. Um, yeah, I would because I really feel, and I, I've written about this this week that what's apparent with what we've seen so far this season, is that Unai Emery is really struggling to get his team more defensively secure. And I think we really need to invest in better personnel. I think he's going to be absolutely limited, hampered by the fact that he's got players who are always going to make a mistake or look like they can make a mistake. And Mustafi is one of those. So for £22.5 million, I think I would say... Cheerio, Skadran. And I would tell Sven to get the hell out there and find me a goddamn centre half who can goddamn defend. That's what I'd say. You've got £22.5 million. We've got rid of Mikatarian as well for £31 million. We've taken a load off the wage bill. Now go find me a goddamn centre half. Goddamn Sven. That's what I'd say. Just keep saying goddamn God until something happens. Damn it. Yeah. Um, I've got a question. Okay. Well, it's not me. It's not actually my question. It's Matt Prentice's. Oh, no, sorry, Matt Prentice. It's not your question. Oh, Matt Prentice. I apologise. What was Matt Prentice's question? Matt Prentice's question was, what was more frustrating, Kalasnach's defending or Mkhitaryan's attacking? Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> you can see why I'd highlighted it, but I feel like we've covered that ground. But on the subject of left-backs, and I know we guested on the Arsenal Vision podcast uh, last week and you spoke about uh, potentially wanting a new left-back, and at Herbie Gunner says, do you think we need a defensive-minded left-back to balance Bellerin on the right, or is it best to have two equally attacking full-backs? Uh, I would like to see somebody akin to Hector Bellerin on the left-hand side. I don't know who that is. I don't know that they have to be specifically just defensive because I don't think that's the role of the fullback. I don't think that's the role of the fullback under Unai Emery either. You know, he wants his fullbacks to attack. They're they're an important part of the way he wants his teams to attack. So Mm. obviously one who can defend is really, really useful uh, because the one we have at the moment can't. And the one sure. who can is injured. And even he's nearly 33 years of age. So we're going to have to think very strongly about uh, bringing somebody new in. So uh, I would be very surprised if our scouts weren't being sent all over the place to look at left backs everywhere uh, across Europe and and in England, of course. So, yeah, I don't think it's necessary to have one who can just defend I think it's important to have one who can attack as well so another another Bellerin not that they're easy to find a left-footed Bellerin would be great I agree I, that's what I'd like I think that I think I think under Arsene Wenger we sometimes had a sense of oh one attacking one fullback's more attacking than the other you know Cole and and Lauren or, mm. or whatever it was Clichy and Sanya I forget now yeah. but I, I feel like um I feel like that's no longer necessarily the case and that if you've got a decent midfield base, which I think we finally might have after a long time of waiting, you can afford to have mm. two fullbacks who bomb on as long as they do it sensibly. I'd love us to to splash out and bring in a really exciting attacking left-back okay. uh, sooner rather than later. Okay, I've got a question here. I just noticed this one. I was going to do just a final would-you-rather one, which oh, I'll do, on. but uh, right. this is a good question actually. It's from Paulie Boy at P. Fortunato 1985. And he says, is it possible that changing tactics for every opponent is giving the team too much to think about, hence the slow starts to games, rather than having a consistent plan slash formation and slightly tweaking for each game instead? Yeah, I think that's definitely possible, isn't it? That makes loads of sense. Um, I mean, it's inevitable that if you, every game are given a load of new information, then you kind of have to kind of feel yourself into the match a bit. Mm. I do wonder how much new information there is because for the most part, we played the same formation this season, haven't we? I know we've done a back three a couple of times, um, but for the most part, it is kind of the same formation, just with different players. Uh, the Fulham game was a little bit of a tweak because we played that that sort of hybrid four four two formation, which worked really well. Um, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen that since for some reason. Um, but again, but, maybe but it was one designed specifically for Fulham. But do you think even if it's the same formation, like maybe the individual instructions are, are different based on it, every opponent? You know, that, that would seem to tally with what we hear about Emery. And I can see an argument that that might make you mm, a little less comfortable, a little less secure in the opening stages of a match than you otherwise would be if mm. it was just go out and do do your thing that you do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that's a really good point, and not one that I had necessarily considered before. Yeah, it could it could well be a could well be a, a factor. factor. Could well yeah. be a factor. But again, you know, we're we're still so 
relatively early in the in the reign of Emery that it's it's just hard to know what's habit, what's kind of fundamental to his teams. Like they put up the stats, didn't they, on Sky Sports yesterday about you know goals scored and and what have you in the first half versus goals scored in the second half. And it's clear we are still a very, very much a second-half team. We win games in the second half. That's what we do. Now, is that going to be the case throughout Unai Emery's Arsenal career? We don't know. We don't know if this is just a kind of aberration in the way that our results have gone because we haven't had enough games. So it is It is tough to, to figure things out. It is, but I think that I think that the question raises an interesting point and one would hope that ultimately there are only so many variants on instructions that you're going to give a player. So essentially that, you know, there's plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, and hopefully at some stage they become comfortable enough with those that you're able to settle into games quicker than they yeah. are present. Plus you, I suppose in, in, in some ways as well, you have to, you have to like, there's, there's no question of uh, a team being flawless, right? No. Every team, regardless of how well drilled they are, are going to make mistakes. I have a feeling that the Arsenal players this week are going to be watching the last two or three minutes of the first half against Bournemouth again, very closely. Oh, and almost undoubtedly. Right? And saying, okay, Alex Iwobi, you're in this position. Fair enough if you want to make something happen. But... Given it is just 20 seconds to the halftime whistle, does our left wing back need to be bombing into the box? Does our defensive midfielder in Lucas Torreira need to be the furthest man forward? You know, those kind of things where he can sit down and say, look, in these situations, this is what we do and this is how we manage them. And that's how we make an improvement. Okay, we've made a mistake, but let's learn from the mistake. That's where I want to see... Uh, uh, Emery really come into his own. I think that's probably what's gonna what's gonna happen. Um, so look, we'll we'll wait and see. Okay, final one because we've been going a while now. Uh, comes from Michael, who's at BL1NN. He says, "Would you rather be a reverse centaur or a reverse merman?" Right. So let's lay this out. So a reverse merman is the legs of a man. Yeah. And the torso and head of a of fish. fish. Yeah. A reverse centaur. Again, I keep my legs. Yeah. Thank goodness. And I. What is a centaur? A goat? No, a centaur is. Um, a horse. It's the horse. body. Yeah, the, the the upper body of a human and the lower body and legs of a horse. So a reverse centaur. I was thinking of a fawn, guys. A Sorry, fawn. Everybody. Yeah. Um, um, you would essentially be Bojack Horseman. Yes. Uh, horseman. I think it's... I mean, neither's great. It's got to be the horse, though, hasn't it? Yeah. Would you have to go if around with your... the presence yeah, go of Bojack in popular culture means people would accept me a little quicker. Yeah. Also, but, would you not have to go around with your head in a bowl of water or something all the time if you had the head of a fish, because how could you breathe what the air? gills. Yeah, you couldn't I'd breathe the gills. air, yeah. Um, and I'd do that thing, every time I wasn't in a bowl of water, I'd do that thing a fish does when you take it out of water, where I'd just be like flapping, 
the top half of me would just be constantly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, also, fish are, I mean, fish are slimy and weird, aren't they? Yeah. Horses are noble and majestic and strong and muscular and powerful and, and those kind of things. Exactly. So... Whereas you would never use the word majestic to describe a fish, especially on land. Very true. Very true. We've got that sorted. So we're both, we'd both go for the Bojack Horseman option there, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather just be a normal centaur. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd rather be a centaur than a merman, I think. Right. Yeah. I think I would too. I basically don't want to live in the sea if I can at all avoid it. <laughs> yeah. You'd be just eating plastic all the time because of the pollution and stuff. You get poisoned. Too right. Yeah. Too bloody right. Whereas you could scamp around the forest. Would if you... The forest left. Yeah. Would you, um, if you were a centaur, mm. and you had a friend who really needed to get somewhere in a hurry, would you give him a lift on your back? Or would it feel weird? I definitely would. Yeah? I almost offer that now in life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just a like, piggyback service for people in need. Short distances. Small people, short distances. I definitely would. Okay. What's weird about a centaur, though, just for the record, is that it's not half and half. Like, a centaur's got six limbs. Because if you think about it, it's got the four legs of the horse, but then it's actually got the torso of a man just instead of a head. So... That's weird, isn't it? Like, when you, it, we accept it. We're used to seeing centaurs. We're like, oh, there they are, the centaurs. But they have got six legs, or six limbs, at least. Six limbs, yeah. Really, it should be, like, the back half of the horse, and then the front legs should be human arms. Well, that'd be weird. But, I mean, the advantage, of course, is that you could do things while you're travelling long distances. You could be bringing your mate, in a hurry to where he needed to go, but also you could check your phone, you could knit, you could do the crossword. I guess, but I think centaurs, if centaurs existed, they wouldn't be allowed to check their phones because it would cause loads of accidents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not when you're driving. Not when you're driving. Not when you're driving. You've got to be parked. To... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know what they would do with their arms when they're running really fast. They're normally like firing bows and stuff like that, yeah, aren't they? yeah. Yeah, war yeah. creatures. Anyway, look, we'll leave it there. Um, thank you as ever for listening. We will be back on Friday, actually, because there is a Europa League game on Thursday mm -hmm. night. So we will do an Arscast Extra on Friday uh, in which we will review the game against uh, Vorskla, but also look ahead in some seriousness to the North London Derby uh, on Sunday based on what Emery does on Thursday, the team he picks and what team he might pick and, and everything else. So please join us for that. Uh, thanks as ever, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.